Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee, which is delicious. If you're on video, you'll see that it's actually Starbucks because today is, say it with me, Friday. Woohoo! It's July 21st, which means that it is David's birthday. So, um, for a special treat, we, I ran him into town and got him Starbucks for his birthday and not incidentally myself. He got Starbucks and coffee cake. So who says I am a good partner? Uh, yeah. So happy birthday, David. And so, yes, I've already been sucking on my venti breve latte with four stevia. Now you all know my uh starbucks order I, it's either a grande with two or a vente with four um just in case you ever want to surprise me with starbucks huh so you'll hear the wind chimes are going it's breezy here this morning um a nice cool breeze uh quite tumultuous uh, it's nice after the the heavy baking heat of this last week which i know we were not the only ones uh, our monsoon rains have not yet started. Alas, <laughs> we really could use the rains at this point. Things are even putting water on them. It really starts to dry out, especially with as hot as it's been. So yeah, I, um, I changed my setup on my laptop. I changed my screensaver. I pointed it in a different direction, I guess, is what I did. And so I have it now shuffling through photos and it's like all of my photos and some of them from like 20 years ago. And so it's a good, bad thing. Um, I am rediscovering all kinds of things that I forgot about. Uh, I am also <laughs> very aware and not to be Debbie Downer here but very aware of how much everybody has aged in that time. Um, it's really just kind of remarkable. Like look at my husband, he is 64 today, but because of the Parkinson's that has aged him even more. And it's remarkable to see just like over the last 10 years, how much he's changed. Uh, but I think that's life. Uh, and, and to do one more thing on a downer and then we'll do up note, but I went and saw Oppenheimer last night, which those of you who know me know that it's, I don't know if I've ever, <laughs> ever gone to see a movie on opening night, uh, on a Thursday night, a school night, no less. And it wasn't because I had a burning desire to see Oppenheimer so much, but my friends, Megan and Charlie had an extra ticket. And they asked me if I would like to go and I thought, sure, I'll go. That'll be fun because I did want to see the movie. And, and of course it's of special interest here because it was filmed in New Mexico and, uh, I knew I would recognize so much of the landscape and the places. And so that was definitely fun to see. Uh, the movie started at seven and oops, now I'm falling off the thing here. All right. Uh, and it's a three hour movie. It is full three hour movies. We saw it at the, um, 
Center for Contemporary Arts in Santa Fe. So no trailers. At least we started spot on at seven, ended spot on at 10 o'clock, which um, that is just past my bedtime, people. <laughs> I didn't get to bed until um, like 1130. So I am dragging rear a bit this morning. So we all know going into Oppenheimer that it is not going to be an up movie. Uh, and it was not. <laughs> uh, I think Charlie and Megan liked it much better than I did. I did not think it needed to be three hours long. And I don't mind a movie being long if it really needs to be. Uh, we also recently watched, streamed, paid the $20 to stream Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I think I didn't talk about that, but really enjoyed that. Um, I did not mind the scenes in that of, of the animal experimentation and stuff. I mean, it is sad and awful, but it's, it's meant to be in it's there for a good reason. Uh, I was really interested just structure wise, speaking of guardians of the galaxy three, um, that midpoint is when slightly spoilery young rocket escapes from the labs, which is interesting because that story is told partly in flashback, right? Where, you know, we have the, the current timeline story arc, but then you have the flashbacks of how rocket came to be, how he was created essentially in these animal experimentation labs and a major beat in the movie, the midpoint pivot is when rocket escapes from those laps when he gets away. And it's, it's a hugely emotional moment because, and I'm sorry, I'll put the spoiler note on the beginning or if, if I remember, but, uh, it's, it's a hugely emotional moment because he wants to bring his friends with him and his friends are killed as he escapes. So, and this sets up a whole dynamic for the rest of the movie. Marvel's really good at doing that kind of thing. Uh, so I thought it was an interesting story point that our climactic beats, when we talk about story structure, when we talk about the climactic beats, they don't necessarily have to occur in the current timeline of the story. They can occur very effectively in the backstory, not backstory, sorry, flashback. It's, it's backstory. Yes. But one way of getting around backstory dumps or referencing too much backstory is by having flashbacks that feel as if they're happening in the moment right? Instead of summarizing, instead of saying, oh yeah, you know, this is what happened to Rocket and, or him telling the story to the others. Oh yeah, this is what happened to me. Instead, we have a full flashback where we go back to that time with him. And I thought it was interesting that midpoint pivot right there in that flashback. Uh, that movie I thought deserved to be as long as it was. Oppenheimer, did it need to be that long? Oppenheimer is trying to do a lot of things. It is not only telling the story of, and I'm fully aware I'm being very spoilery because you know what? 98% of you did not go see it last night. Right? Um, so 
caveats out the wazoo. I, I feel like with a story like Oppenheimer, you can't really spoiler it because it's history. <laughs> we know what happened. It's not like, Hmm, did the bomb work? They go spoiler the bomb worked. Uh, so Oppenheimer is trying to do several different things. Um, aside from being an important movie and you all kind of know how I feel about that sort of thing. Uh, like I said, I think Charlie and Megan liked that about it more than I did. I felt like it was trying very hard to be important, uh, to make a statement. It's telling the story of gathering the team of scientists and bringing them to Los Alamos to work on the bomb, to stop the Nazis. Uh, and that's a really interesting piece. Uh, and, and really what I expected going in. It's, um, Christopher Nolan wrote and directed the movie based on a novel by someone whose name I should have looked up since this is a writer podcast. I feel like I have to give credit to the original writers. So the movie is based on the book, which actually I, I did not realize this, uh, won the 2006 Pulitzer prize for biography or autobiography. Uh, and it is written by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherwin, uh, over the period, over a period of 25 years. That's very interesting. So the book is called American Prometheus, the triumph and tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer. So I know that the book served as an inspiration for the movie, Christopher Nolan, uh, you know, as we were driving back from the movie and processing. Charlie thought that said that he felt like something was typical of Christopher Nolan. And I'm like, what else has he done? Cause he's just not been on my radar. And he said, Oh, well, you know, he did inception inception. Uh, he did memento. Uh, he did, uh, Dunkirk. So this is like consider continuing his world war two phase after Dunkirk, which I did not watch because I just don't really like to watch horror movies. They don't make me happy. David watched it and said it was really good. Anyway, uh, so Christopher Nolan, if you, you know, know from like inception and memento, he loves to break up the gridlock of chronology. So it's interesting that I'm talking about this along with guardians of the galaxy three, right? Oppenheimer really does this breaks up the gridlock of chronology. There are reasons to do this. Uh, and I can see why, like even I, who don't normally do that would make that choice with this movie because the chronological arc of things is that, you know, of course, Oppenheimer, brilliant physicists brought together a team of brilliant physicists, uh, they build the atom bomb. They set off the bomb at Hiroshima, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Uh, Oppenheimer then goes to work on the hydrogen bomb. He has major moral qualms over the major devastation wrought by dropping the atom bomb in Japan. Uh, and then later I've got like hairs blowing over my face here tickling my nose. Um, and then later he is essentially 
Well, he has his security clearance removed. He becomes part of that whole blacklisting, um, the communist witch hunt of the 50s and so forth. And and there's this whole thing with, uh, which, which I did not know and was interesting, with Strauss, who becomes a cabinet member and is played extraordinarily well by Robert Downey Jr. He really did deliver an amazing performance. Um, and so, so there's a couple of hearings that happen, major hearings. One, the gray board where uh, they remove Oppenheimer's security clearance, accuse him basically of being a spy for the Soviets. This is all like leading into Cold War era. Um, and then there is the Senate hearing of Strauss being put on the cabinet, um, sort of the pinnacle of his career. And so if you consider the climactic moment or one of the climactic moments has to be setting off the atom bomb, right? I mean, there's a friend of mine who, uh, Marcella Bernard, she listens sometimes, uh, who insists that explosions are plot points. Uh, it is somewhat inescapable that setting off an enormous bomb that the world has never seen before is going to be a climactic moment. So if you're putting together a movie about this, you're going to have to choose which climactic moment is this. And so they had this uh, dueling uh, I'm trying to think of how I want to describe it. Storyline. I mean, that's the thing is that they really wanted to tell this story of what then happened to Oppenheimer. Cause you know, we just looked at the title of the book that inspired this, the triumph and tragedy of J Robert Oppenheimer. So triumph, but then the tragedy is a big piece of the story, right? But that would make for a very uneven movie arc, right? Uh, if you have like early career building the team, these are familiar tropes for us, setting off the bomb. But then there is the, everything is downhill after that, right? It's all these tragic things. So how do you manage the beats of that? Well, you break up the gridlock of chronology and I could see why they did that. The problem from my point of view, and I'm sure everybody else will think this is a brilliant movie and they don't care what I think, but this, <laughs> you all presumably care what I think. Um, I thought that the early parts of the movie really dragged because they were doing clips of these different, um, reviews, the, the gray board and the Senate hearing. And I didn't really know who the characters were yet. I didn't know who the players were. And this is something we run into a whole lot, especially with modern expectations. And I've talked about this a lot, you know, like with Cushiel's dart by Jacqueline Carey, you know, how I've been telling people to start at chapter 27. And I had that conversation with someone just the other day, cause she said she had told a friend, this friend had like loved Anne Rice's cry to heaven, loved, loved, loved it. She tried to get the friend to read Kushiel's start and uh, they'd bounced off. And so I told her, I said, tell him to start at chapter 27. And, and, and we had an interesting conversation about it because that had not occurred to her. And she's a, a 
an award-winning winning author who's been out of the game for a while and now she's building her career again so we had this conversation about how expectations change and one thing we try to do when we start a story is have it start much much closer to the inciting incident than used to be right that we don't get 27 chapters of backstory before we finally get to the point of the story well the danger of starting in the middle of the action is that you don't know who the characters are and you don't care about them yet uh so i feel like Oppenheimer relied on us knowing who the players were and I'm not a history buff and so I didn't really know who a lot of these people were and I felt like the first hour to hour and a half of the movie really dragged and then it picked up. Uh, they did a lot of things with trying to transmit the horror of the atom bomb uh, with sound effects and visuals which I mean I felt like we went into it knowing that it was awful. I'm not sure that we needed that transmitted. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we did. So anyway, that's that's my take on Oppenheimer. Um, interesting things on story structure. Uh, on my favorite subject, me and my work, I kind of buried the lead, but I finished Onira. Woohoo! Yes, thank you. I hope you're all happy dancing for me. Onira is done. Uh, I finished the book on Wednesday. It came out right about what I thought it would be 87,763. I spent yesterday clearing out the square brackets. Um, I've mentioned before that as I'm drafting, I put things in square brackets. Like if I can't think of the right word I want, or if I'm worried that I'm repeating a word too much, um, if I don't want to name a secondary character or a place. I'll put those things in square brackets. I also put in things like check timeline, weave in, that sort of thing. So I had 92 sets of square brackets and I got them all out yesterday and I began smoothing. I just got to like eight pages of the first chapter. I posted to my discord group. I tried to uh, drop things in there to let people know about my process and how it works as I, as it occurs to me as I'm doing it. And one thing about my process, especially a book like this, where I wrote from the beginning all the way through to the end, I write linearly. I do not break up the gridlock of chronology typically. Um, I don't think you need to necessarily for a, a, you know, especially like an epic fantasy. There's reasons to do it in other stories, especially if you have like really heavy backstory. The reasons I've already talked about. Um, but one of the things that happens is I started writing this book on the beginning of May, first of May and what finished it July 19th. So over the course of that time, those 73 days of full time, I know cause I'd like tracked it. Uh, it's not that many working days. I could tell you how many working days it is. If you, if you care. Uh, cause I always think it's interesting. It was, it was 74 days, uh, from beginning to end and 50 working days is what it took me to write this. Um, by the time I get to those later sections of the book, there are things I put in at the beginning that I forget about. Uh, 
so like already like going through and removing square brackets i like discovered a secondary character i'd put in near the beginning that i totally forgot about later <laughs> and then it's like okay so do i delete them entirely do i bring them back later uh sometimes i throw in world building things like as i'm working that i'm thinking about that maybe the world works this way and then later it becomes that's not the case uh so these are things that I have to tweak as I go along. So I'm going to do some smoothing today and then send it to agent Sarah. I don't know if I mentioned on here that she is going to expedite reading for me. We went back and forth on email earlier this week. She's going to read it and see if she wants to submit it to trad and then we will make some choices. I'll still have to do some revising if she does. Um, if she doesn't want to take it to trad, I'm going to try to get this released in August, which I think is entirely doable. So we shall see huh? Uh, so on that note, I'm going to go get to work. Uh, I hope you all have a fabulous Friday. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and we're full of alliteration today, all the alliteration. And I will talk to you all on Monday. You all take care. Bye-bye.